Today, we have a unique episode on All Goes Mainstream. We have our first episode with a founder and their lead investor. We have the founder of Moonfair, a leading alts access platform, and their lead investor, Fidelity International Strategic Ventures, on the podcast to talk about why both of them believe in the future of retail distribution and alts, and we talked about the anatomy of their deal. Stefan Pauls, the founder of Moonfair, has had an illustrious career in the private equity world. Prior to founding Moonfair in 2016, Stefan was a managing director at KKR, where he was responsible for the firm's coverage of the German market. Prior to joining KKR, he was the CEO of First 5 AG. He's also served on the advisory boards of Verstale, Serbia Broadband, and Hertha BSC. Aloka Kidvani, who runs Fidelity International Strategic Ventures, is an expert in financial market structure. He's been right in the middle of investing in many of the core technology solutions that have powered market structure evolutions across equities, fixed income, commodities, and now alternative assets. At Fidelity, Alokic invests into category-defining fintech companies. They've made a number of fintech investments that have helped shape the alt space, including DriveWealth, Moonfair, CapDesk, Primary Bid, and others. Prior to Fidelity, Alokic was a managing director at Goldman Sachs, where he invested out of the principal strategic investments team, investing into many market structure evolutions. So it was fascinating to have the perspective of both investor and founder on the evolution of the world of alts. We discussed how investor demand has evolved from institutional investors to the retail and private wealth communities, and Stefan and Alokic provided fascinating views on how alts market structure has changed. Thanks, Stefan and Alokic, for coming on the Alt Goes Mainstream podcast. Stefan Alokic, welcome to the Alt Goes Mainstream podcast. Welcome. Hello, Michael. Thanks very much, Michael. Pleasure to be here. Great to have both you guys. This is quite a cool episode. We've actually never had an episode where we've done an investor and the company that they've invested into. And here today, we have a low kick from Fidelity, and we have Stefan from Moonfair, where they've invested into Moonfair and are very excited about it. So we're excited to get into the private markets, the alts world, as well as the anatomy of the deal, which we'll get to a little bit. First, I want to start with your backgrounds. Each of you have been in private equity and the alternative space from different perspectives. Stefan, you've been at one of the biggest alternative asset managers. Alokic, you've invested into venture-backed companies and market structure-related businesses, both Goldman and Fidelity. So I'd love to understand, and I'll start with Stefan, you know, how have your experiences shaped your views on the alt space? Yeah, look, I joined KKR back in 2004. And at that stage, the company was really a, a boutique firm, and that was is representative for the entire industry. It was a niche industry. And what really private equity became uh, over the, call it, past 15 years is a mainstream industry. It stands today, as you will know, for some 25% of global M&A activity. Uh, everyone knows about private equity. Uh, it's part of every institutional or professionally managed portfolio. And this transition from being a niche product, when we started, I think we had 20 people or so in the London office, 
in the global space now, KKR has more than 1,200 uh, professional employees. So the industry has dramatically changed. And what became a broad uh, topic for the professional investment um, world, and now with Moonfair, and in particular with a partnership with Fidelity, we are democratizing the space and take private equity to the next level, which is opening it up for private individuals. That, that's fascinating. Did you ever think about the high net worth community or the individual investor when you were at KKR, even in earlier days, or was this something that just wasn't really thought about because you could get capital from institutional sources? And then as kind of time went on, then you started to think about that a little bit. No, look, Michael, that's a great question. When uh, the industry really changed, this is my personal view, post-financial crisis. And what happened is that back in 2012, 13, suddenly we had a lot of discussions within the senior management team at KKR about how to get access to the largest pool of capital, which is not yet untapped. And this is the pool of capital that is with private individuals. And there were several you know, attempts to do so. We tried at KKR something out with Nasdaq, the uh, Blackstone, a bit, by the way, even something with uh, Fidelity in the US allocate uh, in these days to democratize the space. There was a clear desire from the industry to go into the segment of high net worth individuals. And this team really started uh, post-financial crisis. Uh, it's on the back you know, of, a, of a desire of the uh, um, GPs to diversify their LP base, but it's also to get access to this pool of capital. And we are talking here not about small numbers. If you take the number of capital that should be allocated to private equity from private individuals, but it's not allocated to it, we are talking for Europe alone about a number that is close to 1,500 billion US dollar. It's a very similar size, interestingly, uh, as the, the entire institutional market in Europe. So we are talking large numbers. And there is this famous quote from Blackstone back in 2019 when they said, we want to have 50% of our assets under management. In the case of Blackstone, we are talking of close to 700 billion um, assets under management. Half of it should come from retail in the year 2023. So there is a clear movement in the industry to get access to that uh, to this distribution channel. So you've covered, I think, a really important point, which is that there's a clear interest from the high net worth community of investing into alts. Now, in order for that to happen, there has to be the infrastructure from pre to post trade to enable that to happen. And Alokic, you've done that for most of your career, investing into market infrastructure from pre to post trade across various asset classes. So tell us about your background and then what you think is going on in the alt space in regard to the infrastructure that needs to be built. Absolutely. Being sort of a fintech investor and that too, sort of a strategic fintech investor, starting with Merrill Lynch, then Goldman, where, where Michael, you and I worked together for a while. And then most recently with Fidelity, I think that interest in the infrastructure is really important. As, as you say, investing in the infrastructure across the most liquid markets, going from equities through debt and other assets, to then thinking about that infrastructure for, for private assets and private equity has been really interesting. When you look at this space specifically, there's been three main issues that we were trying to solve as you come down that democratization curve that Stefan talks about. You're talking about access, you're talking about illiquidity, and then you're talking about the operational complexity or the infrastructure issues underpinning it. 
And what Stefan and team are doing and are doing very successfully and are at different stages of that evolution is solving all of those three points. That's what attracted us to the equation. But when you look at this space overall and picking up from Stefan's point, that demand coming from the high net worth community and the allocation of capital is really interesting. And it's driven by a post you know, financial crisis kind of broadening of asset base. But I think it's also driven by yield and the taste for yield in a world of low interest rates, you know, equity markets moving through different cycles, that demand to keep looking at the next asset class was really interesting. Do you talk about some of the building blocks that are important to building up an end-to-end platform like this? And various companies have thought about this differently. Some have started with more of a focus on on the assets themselves. Some have focused more on distribution. Some have focused more on the, the infrastructure, and then they're getting into now layering on products. I'm thinking something like a Carta, which started more as a tech company and is now building a distribution network, um, or an iCapital, which has started in the opposite place. From both of you, and going on your point, Alokic, of giving investors access to this asset class, what do you think is the most important aspect of building a platform like this? Or is it the entire value chain. No, so uh, it's the entire value chain is critically important, but it's at different stages. The first part is making it easy to use. Second, easy to understand access and understand the product range there. And the third is showing them that the true end-to-end life cycle of their ability to get on onboard, then go through the product selection, then go through execution and, and go through that whole life cycle is simple. That's really important. That part is critically important for anybody trying to do this stuff, particularly in the private asset space and the private equity space. This is more important because the complexity in a normal way of doing this in a traditional way through your wealth manager or through your allocations that you can get access to was always complicated. So simplicity and democratization go together. Stefan, how did you think about that when you were building the platform, approaching from start to finish? What was on your mind and what was most important to you in terms of we have to get this part of the business right? When I started the company, and I really mean it, it started with a mission to democratize private equity. And why is it so important to democratize it? Because we really aim to provide prosperity for all people. I always find it unfair that only large institutions can play this beautiful asset class. Private equity is, as you know, probably from a risk-return perspective, one of the most attractive asset classes you can play. And this is why, for me, the most important thing, look, people that invest through the Moonfed platform, they want to make money. They are on search for yield. So the product selection, this is really uh, where everything starts and ends, to pick out the right asset managers. Private equity is beautiful, but it's only beautiful if you have access to and the ability to identify the best managers out there. And this is, frankly, what I'm in particular proud of uh, at Moonfair. Our program is second to no one. We have access to the Ivy League of, of um, buyout. We have infrastructure on it. Uh, we have a U.S. tech. We have growth, an incredible amount of high-class funds. And then the second point, I think, in the past, it was an incredible cumbersome process to invest into private equity. If you go to the Moonfair platform end-to-end from the accreditation, the famous Know Your Customer, uh, and so on and so forth. It takes you 15 minutes, one, five, and you're invested into a given fund. And this beauty of technology, this is really what, what drives the democratization here. You can't take a 200K check and do it manually. Yeah? It will never be 
uh, efficient, it will never be a great experience for the customer. And frankly, you will never be able to, to offer a very attractive fee or price for that service. And this is what differentiates us. You're hitting on a really important point. We're seeing this evolution happen in places like crypto as well, where there have been companies that have created on-ramps to the crypto economy in large part because they've created better user experience. So what you're hitting on is that you've created a better user experience for the investor and the GP as well, right? Because to your point, they couldn't think about taking these small investors even if they wanted to, because the process of administering those funds was so burdensome, KYCing those investors. How have you thought about and approached user experience to make such a differentiated product? Look, it's funny that you're asking this, Michael. When I founded the company, we, we had a cross-functional project team in place. We had lawyers, we had people from the regulatory side, we had our product and IT experts. And really bringing these people together and really rethinking the process. So what is it what you would like to see? We don't want to sign up tons of papers before I can show you an opportunity. We developed a solution where you can pretty early on in the process already get some data, get some flavor about the actual investment. And once you are uh, pregnant with it, so to say, the more administrative or process is following. We engineered the entire process. We, digital, we, we took full use of technology to make it as easy as possible. Give you one example, Michael. If you go to the Moonfair platform and you know this famous ID process where you have to put in your ID or your passport, the second way you're doing it, the system is reading out all the data and all the docs are already populated with your name, with your address, and with all the details that otherwise you would have to cumbersomely type in. So that's technology. And re-engineering the process, make it easy, focus on really what is necessary uh, in the process, and make it a, a bit of an experience to the end user. This is what we were aiming for, and this is what we constantly aim to improve. Well, on that point as well, Alokic, you've both invested into Moonfair, but also strategically partnered with Moonfair through Fidelity, and that's both through the individual investor business. Fidelity has a true retail business, but also has an intermediary business with wealth managers. How have you thought about Moonfair's experience when it's come to your end clients? It's, it's really interesting. And I'll try and articulate that strategic partnership a little bit further and then answer that question. Fidelity International is an interesting business because it touches end users, intermediaries, like you described, and wholesale and institutional clients. I think when we thought about the Moonfair partnership, the first part of it was for the wholesale client base. And thinking about how we can bring some of those wholesale clients in who either have a cumbersome experience to have their end clients, wealth managers, private banks, banks and others, access private equity. And so they can benefit from the, the experience of the Moonfair platform and the product selection and the, and the product breadth that Stefan described. So that's the first part of where we start. And that's the piece that is the, the strategic partnership to kick it off. In the future, we have the, the hope that we can extend this through to the IFA channel as well as the end users as it becomes more interesting for them, as it's better understood, and it becomes part of that portfolio need as well. So the strategic partnership is very much a distribution partnership and something which we're working on together. It's early days of that process, but a lot of very interesting discussions and, and great reception from the client side. So... I want to hit on distribution because I think, and I've written about this before, that 
so much of the key to many of these alts platforms is distribution of product. I'd love to unpack how you both think about distribution of product. This partnership is one example of that. But Stefan, I've been on your site. You have many individuals as well who are coming to your platform. You have intermediaries. I'd love to hear how you both think about the importance of distribution when it comes to building out an investment platform in the alt space. And Stefan, let's start with you. Look, as you say, Michael, distribution is key. And if you really want to fully democratize uh, private markets and give everyone access, you have to play various channels. One channel that we play is the B2C or direct-to-consumer channel. But this only serves a certain part of the spectrum of the population. And why is it? There are many, many people out there, you know, that are, you know, familiar with private equity. They can make up their minds. They know what the product is about. They might even know a particular GP or fund manager and have preferences. And then they can decide. And those people, you know, probably want to go direct. They don't go to their bank because they know what they are doing, uh, because they, they, they know it from a professional background or, or from other sources. But there are so many people out there uh, that need the advice on asset allocation, that need the support about the product, uh, really understanding what private equity is about. And they need to go through the bank and wealth management channel. And this is why we are so excited about uh, the Fidelity Partnership, because this is really enables us to take the entire B2B2C um, distribution, as we call it, into a totally different uh, level and, and space. And I'm glad that we are doing this now across Europe. And to Allokick's point, we signed the partnership in March, and it has been off to an incredible traction. And we are lining up and implementing one bank after the other, and every bank brings us closer to democratize the space. We see ourselves really as partners to banks and family offices and multi-family offices. We want to enable them to offer an incredible product to their end customers with an incredible customer experience. One question there on going through intermediaries, which I experienced at iCapital and was what helped in large part get iCapital to real size and scale. But one challenge with the intermediary space is that you almost have to make two sales. You have to sell the intermediary on why Warburg Pincus Fund 12 and then that intermediary has to sell the end client. And you may not, as Moonfair, touch that end client. How have you thought about that when it comes to selling these investment products? Because you're really relying on that intermediary to do that for you, which can be a good thing because they know the client way better than you do. They have a holistic view of their portfolio. But I'm really just curious, having gone through that experience myself as well, what your experience has been like and how you've thought about that. Look, one of the key things, the market is huge. The classical 60% stocks, 40% bond portfolio is over and it's not coming back anytime soon. There is this need, but what is a requirement, Michael, and this is an excellent point that you are raising, is the education aspect. Yeah? It's not the case that the banks haven't done anything in, in the past in terms of alternatives. They offered here and there, maybe not systematically, but here and there, they offered alternatives. So there is some knowledge. But the, the education of, uh, in a broad scale of both the advisor and then the end customer, this is really what drives the scale or the size here uh, that we are talking about or the opportunity. And this is why we invest a lot in education. We are doing you know, webinars with the banks, with the wealth managers, with the advisors. We enable them also with our technology, by the way, uh, to streamline the entire advisory process so they know in which stage each uh, client is 
They can you know, auto send automatic updates. They can send uh, uh, background information on the fund, on the private equity industry in general. We bring in even the fund managers to do webinars with the end clients so, so that they speak directly to the investment manager. But the education of the industry, that's really a Hercules task. And again, this is why I'm so uh, excited about the partnership uh, with uh, Fidelity, because of course, both organizations together have a very, very different leverage to, to get people educated in the market space. Speaking 10 years from now, I see this again um, as a task that will be solved and will be much more mainstream than today. That's a great segue into a low kick. You know, at Fidelity, I'm sure you've talked with many advisors as you've thought about making this investment, executing on this partnership. How have you thought about that question from the advisor perspective, helping them understand alts, assessing whether they do understand alts and can properly help their clients figure that out and allocate to assets through something like the Moonfair platform? I think that's a really good point. There's two different points there. And you described a double level sale. You almost think about it as one more stage where the salespeople that are going to go out and talk to the intermediaries that are then going to talk to the end client, they need to be educated as well on understanding a new asset class versus what Fidelity is traditionally known for, which is more equity and debt mutual funds, passive products, quant products, systematics, etc. So there's that level of understanding too. And so that level of training was another one that we're, we have done and done very, very robustly to be able to get people to get that way. I think the point around that second sale that you described, and this comes back to Stefan's point of having the Ivy League, as he described, a fund, the quality and the selection of product should be speaking for itself. The track record of the fund managers, et cetera, right? that should be speaking for itself so that when people see that you want to access private equity, that's the sale. Then they understand that now you've got the best of breed, the top tier, the top quarter, the top decile, whatever we want to qualify them as into that bracket so that we can make sure that you're getting the best products to the best channel possible. I want to hit on two points there. There's two really interesting questions to unpack. One is on incentives. So often you show me the incentive and I'll show you the outcome is the quote. And I think that rings true with many origination platforms, which in some senses a, a platform like Moonfair, as many alts platforms are. Platforms in this space often get compensated when investors invest into product. Now, that would, on one hand, say that the more product you have, the more likely you can grow AUM. Now, on the other side, and Stefan and Loka, you've both mentioned this, is you really want to make sure you have high-quality assets because what matters in the alt space is getting into the top funds. Makes total sense. How do you think about, Stefan, and then I'll go to you, Loka, how do you think about the tension between those two things of originating as many assets as possible to generate revenue versus keeping the bar really high and only having a number, and there's only a finite number of top performing funds on the platform? Yeah, look, Michael, it's in, indeed a, a very, very interesting question. There is one deliberate decision that we took, that I took when I started the company, which is never take money from the GPs. So we are not getting any placement fee. We have no incentive. We are really out there to select the best managers um, in, in the industry. And the best managers are oversubscribed in many, many cases. So they, they probably will not pay a placement fee because they don't have to. And I would never take it. This is, by the way, a huge difference to some other folks out there in the industry where, where placement and, and, and you know uh, double-sided incentives still play, play a role. Look, uh, 
to your point, I'm really thinking as an entrepreneur about building a company that is out there for, call it the eternity. Uh, for, for me, it would be the, the greatest thing if it would, uh, Moonfair would be still uh, a dominating platform in, in 30 years from now. And the lifetime of a fund, until you see really what the yield is, what the IRR is, you can see it latest after four, five, six years, everyone will see it. And it, it would be a very short-term adventure if we would, you know, compromise on the side of the quality of the funds. Because five, six, seven years later, the customers uh, would definitely find out. And this is not what we are for. We are in for the long term here. We want to have long-term relationships, by the way, with both, with our GPs, yeah, in good times and in bad times, as well as with our end customers. Look, in the repeat rate, uh, after three, four years uh, doing this with Moonfair, repeat rate meaning how many customers are coming back and do a second, third, or fourth investment on the Moonfair platform is close to 70%. 70% of all people have done already, after two, three years um, uh, of operations, more than um, uh, one investment with us. And I'd like to uh, have this number going up to six investments over the lifetime. And this is why we have to bring only up the best funds. Look, it's not for me, in my view, a problem that is very difficult to solve because, you know, the capacity of the large managers and excellent managers is really large. The largest fund we did was a U.S. tech fund. It was 200 million. Uh, I see a long way to go for us before we sign, you know, a billion or two billion in a given fund and would reach any capacity. So compromising on quality is not part of our plan. You're hitting on two really good points, which I want to highlight, which is one is investing across vintages is really important. Investors should be investing consistently on a platform like that's not skipping out vintages, whether it's private equity and probably even more importantly, venture, because there's some vintages that are great, some vintages that are not as great. And then the other piece is that there's no reason why the high net worth channel can't get to billions and billions of dollars per fund even. There are funds out there that are raising $10, 15000000000 billion funds. Why can't the high net worth community represent a billion dollars worth of that through the Moonfair platform? And Alok, if that's where I want to go with you is, how have you thought about this in the context of balancing quality control with the revenue generation potential of a platform like this? I'm sure you thought about this as you were underwriting this investment. So would love to hear how you thought through all of that. Absolutely. And I definitely echo the point that you made, which is the potential for investors to represent a larger portion of this. The fundraising demand is huge. And the key part is that you make it easy. You show them the path, you show them the returns, and they become repeat clients. And the same portfolio approach that you take in your normal portfolio of investing to smooth out returns, etc., you do in this case because you want to hit all the vintages, right? You want to make sure you're in a range of vintages, not just the whatever 20, 2021 edition, but you want to make sure you've got through all the different ones as well and different funds, different geographies, etc. So that repeat mentality, I think seeing that proven through Moonfair was really important, that people coming back and also just highlighting that ability for Moonfair to work across on an individual basis, largely to bring on customers one at a time to get the scale they've achieved thus far was really important because that means that it worked. And now taking it through a wholesale channel and, and not just work, but scale it to a decent amount. And then taking it to a wholesale channel can help amplify that even further. The way we see that is, is really, really interesting. And that notion of the customers consistently coming back, understanding the proposition, investing through the cycles and focusing on the quality of the funds, that dichotomy that you described of kind of 
high quality versus getting as many assets to the platform. We're always playing a long game. If you're going to play the long game, you need to provide the best quality assets for the long term. If you're going to try and play a short game of raise as many assets as you can quickly for the next two years, because you're trying to scale it up as quickly as you can, you're going to show that in a five, seven year cycle, you're going to see how that's performing. And that was the bit that was really helpful when myself, our team across Fidelity was discussing with Stefan and his team. The vision was very clear. We're doing this towards a long game. And how are we building the highest quality platform for clients that can resonate over a long term? You're hitting on a really important point, particularly for the intermediary or the advisor, is that they do not want to allocate client assets to the wrong funds or investments because if they lose money, they will likely lose those clients. So that's where the double layer sale actually can really matter is making sure that you're providing high quality assets to them so that they can trust you that they're investing client assets in something where client's going to be happy and not going to leave because of, of bad performance. So another thing I want to touch on on this topic is productization and how you've thought about structuring products. You've mentioned that there are different types of clients that you have, individuals, intermediaries, private banks. You can offer single funds. You can offer a diversified pool of funds in a specific strategy, in multiple strategies. How have you thought about productization? And kind of second layer of that question is productization based on the type of investor that you're trying to serve. Look, that's another excellent one. And as you say, there are very different needs out there in the market. Uh, We at Moonfair, we offer uh, the ability to access or invest directly into one fund. So you, Michael, are building your own portfolio over vintages, over managers, over strategies and regions. That's one solution. Another one, and we call it Moonfair Core Portfolio and Moonfair Growth Portfolio, which is an incredible success for us, is that you get a one-stop shopping solution. So it's a basket of uh, funds that you invest in, in a certain strategy, in buyout, in growth, in U.S. tech. And you can do it year over year, and you have a very well-diversified portfolio of funds at once. But there's one more thing that technology enables us to do for our partners. We can really build for for relatively low amounts of money, managed accounts. So if you are a wealth manager and you say, I want to have my unique, whatever, bank A product, that is a basket of products and some infrastructure in it and some growth, a multi-asset strategy or whatever it is, we can build it for you, we can tailor it for you, and you will have your individual product. So we allow, so to say, end customers, typically you need 100 million and above for a managed account to do this with with much smaller amounts of money. That, that, that's fascinating. And I think that gets to a look at Fidelity. You work with all different stripes of investors. H- how do you think investors think about allocating to private equity and alternative assets as well? Does it vary very much by the type of investor they are? And is there some things that are easier for others to grasp or, or get educated on than other types of products? I, I think that's true depending on the types of investors. The more sophisticated, higher net worth clearly understand things like private equity, private assets, and may have some experience of investing in them. As you come down that curve towards mass affluence and, and below, you're, you're kind of people don't have that exposure. In, in that instance, you're going to have to do some level of education, but then your point around productization is really relevant because there may be some that like a particular flavor, a particular name or a particular sector, a particular high technology fund in a particular geography, etc. But then th- there may be others that are saying, look, I don't want to be the picker. I want to rely on Moonfair's 
investment committee to determine which funds are best and think about that construction. And I'll take a fund of fund product and I'll get a more diversified approach to normalize or smoothen out that return. So it's still a high quality return. It's just coming on a diversified basis. It depends in different markets and different segments and the ability to have the range of that and the point that Stefan mentioned, which is the customization of that basket for a particular client or a particular intermediary is really interesting. As we think about the evolution of the alt space, Alokic, much like we've seen in other industries like the equities space where the advent of ETFs really unlocked large pools of assets coming to the space, both from individuals and intermediaries, do you think we'll see something similar in the alt space where more structured products just unlock this flood of capital that really commercializes or creates this retailization of the space that we've seen with the equities industry? We will do, but a different flavor. And I think it's funny. It's something that with Stefan and the team we've been talking about for a while now, because if you look at two sort of regulatory drives that are happening across Europe and the UK, the notion of an LTIF or your your European long-term investment fund or the what's in the UK, the LTAF, you're talking about enabling people to invest into alternative assets and private equity alongside their traditional pension allocation or as a portion of their pension allocation. Now, just, just think about that. The volume and the quantum we're talking about there is humongous. Now, the retailization of that comes through that type of pipe rather than a flavor of a listed product or a structured product that might be slightly different because the durations you're talking about are different. The notions we need to do when we think about that retailization is threefold. It's the productization, it's the pricing, and it's the liquidity. And each of those are being solved. The productization Stefan's already addressed, liquidity, I'll let him talk to, but they've got a phenomenal plan and a partnership in place to, to allow for that with Lexington. That's a very cool opportunity because that's the other problem in the space. You can get in, but you couldn't get out. And so having that ability to get out is really powerful. And then then the ability to think about pricing there is really going to be interesting too. That's a great point on liquidity, and that's actually where I wanted to go next. Now, the question I will layer on to a low kicks point about liquidity, Stefan, is should people have liquidity? Because sometimes in private equity and alternatives, illiquidity can be a feature, not a bug. Look, from an investment perspective, Michael, you're, you're totally right. And this is why in the professional sector, Back in the early 2000s, when I joined KKI, it didn't play much of a role because people understood it's a long-term investment. But it's very different for a private investor. And why is it? The first thing that people told me or asked me uh, when, when I uh, pitched the concept of Moonfair and private equity investing to them is, what happens if I'm getting a divorce, I'm losing my job, I need the money for something else? So people, I think, understand the long-term character of the asset class and the beauty behind it, but they need, call it a safety belt. In case something happens, what am I going to do? And think about in the professional market, back financial crisis, you know, there might be needs to adjust your asset allocation yeah? there, uh, because you're overexposed suddenly uh, after, let's say, a crash in public markets to alts, yeah? and you have to adjust. So there is a good reasoning to provide a path um, to liquidity. And this is really an aspect or a feature we have on the platform. And the team and I, I'm very proud of because it's a global innovation. What we did is a digital secondary marketplace in close cooperation with Lexington Partners, one of the most renowned and, and, and greatest professional secondary players globally. And what you can do after a year, Michael, if you have to or if you want to for some reason, 
you put your stake on the Moonfair platform. We have up to 15,000 registered users right now, and they can bid and, and ask. You can buy and sell your stakes in a fully digitalized process. No one else can offer this globally. How do the GPs feel about that? Because to some extent, that is creating, a in, in a very loose way, a mark-to-market on their assets in ways where they may not necessarily want that. Now, obviously, they do mark-to-market. They do value their assets, generally on a quarterly basis. But this kind of creates some more real-time value of those assets to some extent with it would probably with a liquidity discount because people if they're selling there's a reason why they're selling but how did gps feel about that look the, the main point first of all is that there's no change in the lp structure from a gp standpoint because the moonfair vehicle stays untouched and everything uh, happens behind the fence so to say yeah within this vehicle that's very important the second point is Look, there has been a professional market out there uh, which grew substantially post-financial crisis. So there are prices, market markets out there because of all these auctions and, and secondary huge volumes that are changing ownership. And the third point is, uh, Michael, our market is predominantly a private marketplace. Yeah? It's demand and, and supply. Someone for some reason wants to get an allocation in an earlier vintage or in a specific fund. I don't think that our GPs take this as a really serious professional data point for their for their funds. And are people who are buyers and sellers, are they doing this in a very scientific way like a secondary firm would do it? Because I think that's one of the, the values of a secondary firm is that they're able to do this so scientifically. They will look at all the underlying companies in the portfolio of one of those funds, and they'll be able to understand whether or not they want to buy that stake because of certain assets in it. Do you think at some point you will have a way for individuals to do that as well in some form where they can then really get into the nitty gritty of it when they're thinking about liquidity on, on either the buy or the sell side? Yeah, look, Michael, one thing that we keep on telling each other at Moonfair is never underestimate how smart your customer is. And you will laugh. We have so many professional, highly educated people in the Moonfair community doing this. We have ultra high net worth individuals, we have professional family offices, uh, and we have very, very smart people. The starting point is always the NAV, the net asset value, so some fair play. And then really it's a dynamic of the market forces, so to say, where uh, the, the price might, might come out. But people that do secondaries on our platform, they are knowledgeable. That, that's fantastic. And giving them that option, I think, to both of your points is so important. And it has to be something that you offer, whether or not people take it, so that people feel, particularly the intermediaries, I think the advisor community wants to allocate to alts, but they want to do it in a way where they know they have some liquidity. So I think it's a hugely important feature, and it's great that you guys are offering this. I want to get to the anatomy of the deal. So you obviously have both worked together. There was an investment that came together as part of this. First, I want to just start with the juicy details. So who courted who? <laughs> I think that's a really good question. And the funny part is it was a few rounds of getting to know each other through different ways before the real courting happened because we had seen early versions of the Moonfair platform, thought it was really interesting, but it was really early in its evolution. And then through some of the mutual relationships that existed where our head of distribution had worked very closely with some of Stefan's colleagues, that kind of resurrected that discussion and came together. And so we got a next chance to get to know each other a bit further. And as we dug in and started really understanding the complementarity, one of what was proven on the business side with Moonfair, 
And second, what we hoped we could do together. The, the, the synergy just was so evident that I think it was difficult for, for us to look beyond that. I don't know, Stefan, you might have a different side of the story, but at least that's the way I saw some of that coming together. Look, this is absolutely spot on. Uh, the, the theme, Michael, this democratization of private equity or private equity goes retail. In 2015-16, when we launched the company, that was really not yet a huge topic everywhere. But what it became in the asset management industry, for the banks, for, for the reasons stated, for the GPs with their strategic interest to uh, get access to this uh, channel, it really became a mega theme in the entire industry. Today, if you talk to you know, senior people in the asset management industry, uh, banks and others, digitalization and then alternatives and democratization is on top of their agenda. And that's probably why over the past two years, uh, we got inbound calls from dozens of interested parties, from asset managers, wealth managers, banks, uh, and others. But our partner of choice really was Fidelity. We had been in touch very early on. Uh, and, and this is why um, we reconvened and we came together uh, again uh, through uh, mutual contacts. And we took it from there. Very glad to be here. Stefan, what did you feel Fidelity brings to the table that other investors couldn't bring? This is a, uh, like a marriage. Yeah? You really think about your partner. And, and I thought a lot about Fidelity. And, and I can tell you... Uh, That's why I'm asking all these dating questions. I hope not a secret. Yeah? It, it took us a while yeah, to, to cut the deal because we really wanted to make sure... Uh, as you're doing it in a marriage, that this is this is going to work, and it's going to work. And what we were looking for, I, I was impressed by Fidelity's brand name, always. Uh, it's a landmark name, not only in Europe, it's a global partner. Second point, very important for us. Now our partnership is exclusive for Europe, but there is Asia, there is the US, there are other regions that are of interest for, for Moonfair. The third point really is, it's an incredibly strong distribution powerhouse. Fidelity is really, it's a, if I may say, it's an incredible machine, very impressed by how, how this firm uh, is run by the management team. And then another aspect that played a, a role personally for me is a privately held company. It's not a listed, and it's, it's from a cultural perspective and philosophy, it's long-term, it's not driven by quarterly results. Uh, they share the same mission as we do, uh, that this theme, Alternatives of Private Markets, is, is crucial and then at the end, as always, it's the acting people. And uh, Alokic, what was the point when you said to yourself, we have to make this investment? <laughs> no, I think I wish it could be one point. Stefan's point is kind of a continuum. Part where it resonates is, is when we started getting to some of the dialogue and understanding the ambition that Stefan and his management team and the business had built thus far and then where they were headed. I think the part to us that made a lot of sense is and being brutally honest, Fidelity International is not at the forefront of private assets. We're coming at this a little bit later versus some of our peers. But as a result of coming at this a bit later, and with the management team that's driving this forward, it was very important to do this in a next generation manner. Very important to do this in an accelerated manner. Let's do it in a way that is going to drive the future interest of investors and in a completely digital completely innovative manner that's built for the next generation. And hence that as we dug into the tech, we dug into the platform, we dug into the prioritization, we dug into the management team and the ability for them to deliver this. I think that's when it came together, right? That was the bit, which is 
We're playing from behind. We want to have some things that can be important to the market. We want to create the right partnership. And we also really tested ourselves on can we deliver the partnership? Because Michael, you and I know this, there's enough strategic investors that promise and don't deliver. So we've got to make sure that we can do this. We spent a lot of time with Stefan and his team on understanding that. What can we really deliver to whom, in what timeframes, and making sure that we can all be held accountable to that. It sounds like you asked a lot of really hard questions, both of Stefan, but also of yourself and the ability to execute on this partnership. So Stefan, from your perspective, what was the hardest question that you got from Alokic and team during this process? Oh my God, I can tell you, we got so many hard ones and tough ones. Uh, but one really stood out um, when Alokic was asking me uh, in a more private format, if you had not founded Moonfair, what else would you do today? And that was really for me a, a difficult one because I'm so passionate about Moonfair and this mission to democratize that I, I didn't find an answer to this one, so probably the toughest one. Alokic, what was your thoughts on that and your reaction to that? I often feel we don't get to hear that from VCs. Like, they're asking a certain question, and they know why, but we don't, as the general public, necessarily know why. When you asked that question and you got that answer from Stefan, A, what were you trying to figure out, and B, what was your thought about his answer? Yeah, no, and, and so oftentimes... A, a traditional investor tries to look at metrics and projections and all of those things. And obviously, we spend time with the team. As we all know, the most important of this is an idea is great. Projections are fantastic. Execution is everything. The ability to truly understand the passion and vision that the team, Stefan, and what he was instilling in his team were driving forward was so important to us to hear that like this is all he wants to do, he's driving this forward. This is his focus and the mission and the vision is let me get this done at Herculean scale. And that came across from that response, but also in the ambition of where they wanted to go. There was no end to this journey. There was no, okay, we reached this milestone and we're done. It's kind of like, we just want to keep doing this to create the biggest, brightest, best platform we can for investors. So Stefan, it sounds like by answering that Moonfair was the thing that you would want to do, sounds like that was actually the right answer. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. So you you may not have known it at the time, but that sounds like it was the right answer. Well, I have one final question for both of you, which is what is your favorite or most interesting alt investment and why? Stefan, we'll start with you. Look, that's a simple one for me, Michael, because it's, of course, it's Moonfair. (laughs) Well, luckily for you with Moonfair, you get to invest into one thing that invests into so many things. I mean, to me, I think it's exactly that, right? To me, the old investment is, you know, I I think alternatives today is very interesting. And we're starting in a more traditional old world. To Stefan's point, we're starting in private equity. And I think the ability for Stefan to, to build that business and us to partner with him to do that, to broaden out the asset classes. So that you start in private equity, you can potentially do credit, real estate, infrastructure, and beyond. That's still we're playing the traditional world. Michael, you've talked about through your podcast and beyond what the next generation of alts really looks like. When we're talking about everything going from sneakers to NFTs to art and wine and everything beyond, right? Now, that's the next generation of alts. So it's looking at that continuum of what is alts today? What are people investing in today? How does that broaden out and diversify over time? And I think... To me, that continuum is the best and most interesting part of the old spectrum. It, it, it's phenomenal. And do you think that will ultimately exist on one multi-asset platform? Or are these areas so specialized 
that they will each have their own platforms. I mean, in my view, I think it's the same as what happens in other assets. You start with specialization in individual assets. Over time, there's a level of aggregation or consolidation that brings it together. I think the the access to the end investor, the consumer, and the best experience to be able to do this is the one that brings things together over time. As long as we're able to demonstrate through Moonfair that there are repeat investors, they're getting access to the best products, the products are creating the best returns, there's no reason why you should have to go to multiple platforms to be able to get access to a range of products that become more and more interesting and yield enhancing over time. I think that's a great point. And and to wrap this back around, Stefan, you've talked about that in the context of giving investors holistic access to things, but also views of their portfolio. And over time, why can't you just add different products and then they can have one place where they go. They can also get liquidity and you've created this comprehensive platform for them. Michael, first of all, it's about pick your battles. And uh, I'm humble enough to say, what are we good at? We are good at private markets. Uh, This is where we are coming from. This is where the team's today's knowledge and experience is. And we have so much to do. We started in buyout. Yeah? We added infrastructure. I said it, we added growth. Uh, we have LTIPS. We have US tech. We have secondaries on the platform. Uh, we did very recently for our investors, the first co-investment. So in the alt space, so there are so many opportunities from a product standpoint, but also then, of course, in terms of geographies. This is for the next five years enough. Ask me again in five years' time, and I might have another idea. In five years, we'll have to have you both back on the podcast to see how we've thought about the evolution of the alt space and where it's going. But both of you are are pioneering the space. What you're building and giving access to the investors is awesome. It's great for this space. So congrats to you both. Thank you both for coming on this podcast. It's a pleasure to have you. Thanks very much, Michael. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Alt Goes Mainstream. I hope you enjoyed it. You can find more episodes of the podcast at any of your favorite podcast sites, and you can read more about alts at my Substack, altgoesmainstream.substack.com, and follow me on Twitter at, at @michaelsidgmore and at @goesalt. Thanks a lot and have a great day. We're going